Wedding Band is a classic because if everyone in America saw this play, we'd be a better society. Wedding Band is a classic because after I read it, I wanted to reread it and talk about it and do it and produce it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wedding Band is a classic, period. Truly. Yeah, that's it. This is a history. This is a Hello, and welcome to This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon Theater Podcast. We're your hosts, Shannon Corinthian, and me, Mary Candler, Artistic Director of Hedgepig Ensemble Theater and a curator of Expand the Canon. And we're here to introduce you to some plays by women that are classics. Expand the Canon is a program of Hedgepig Ensemble, a Brooklyn-based company dedicated to reimagining the classics, creating a legacy of storytelling with gender equity at the core. So, Mary, what play are we talking about today? Ooh, we've got a really good one on our hands. And, mm. you know, I'm going to be honest, I am a little nervous even talking about it because I have so much love for this play. Mm. I want to do yeah. it so much justice. <laughs> ah! um, but the play is called Wedding Band, colon, a love-hate story in black and white. I would suggest you don't voice colon. It's just part of the punctuation. Um, <laughs> but it is a play, a beautiful play by Alice Childress, which she wrote in the early 60s, although it was not performed in New York City until 1972 because it dealt with issues that were really hot-button topics and they thought it would be too much for a New York audience until that point. How surprising that they would think it would be too much for a New York audience. I know. Come on, New York. 70, in the 60s and 70s. I, I mean, know. What? And, you know, before the New York run, actually, there was a production of it at University of Michigan. They were the first folks to take on this play and do a production. And then it transferred. I don't transfer. It's not the right word. It just was another production in Chicago. And it was only after these two productions that New York Shakespeare Festival brought this to New York. And I think a lot of people wow. think about this play as premiering at the mm -hmm. New York Shakespeare Festival. But it had to have a bit of a run before yeah. it got there. Oh, wow. No, Isn't U of M your alma mater? No, that's Emily. Little oh. shout out to Emily Lyon. Uh, that's her alma mater. Yes. Shout out. Yeah. So this was the, the years of Joseph Papp. So um, gotcha. that was that was where this got its start. So wow. wedding band. That's what we're talking about today. Legacy. If you want to take on the pandemic privilege and systemic racism with grace and heart, then you need to look to Alice Childress. A compassionate yet candid look at the complexities of prejudice, Wedding Band focuses on love and the forces that try to tear it down. The play follows Julia, a black woman, through the complexities of an interracial relationship in 1918, Charleston, South Carolina. This close-knit community of black women navigate an influenza outbreak, war abroad, and war at home. This play begins in 1918 in South Carolina. It's the tail end of World War I and a place where interracial marriage was definitely illegal. And we meet Julia, 
a black woman who has just moved into a new house in that close-knit community of black women. And these neighbors... They're the beginning of our entrance into this world and into this play. We meet Fanny, Lula, Maddie, all these folks that are living so close together and really living each other's lives. And so basically everyone is up in everyone's business this whole time and in (laughs) enters a new person, Julia. So there's definitely a lot of curiosity about this newcomer. Right. So there's some chit-chat, whatever. And then Herman enters. Yes. Well, ooh, because Herman's a white dude. And that raises a lot of eyebrows around the, uh, you know, the neighborhood here. I don't even know if neighborhood is the right word. It's a Uh, set of houses. Right. It's like three houses, right? And Julia's in the backyard. Exactly. That sounds like she's living outside. She's living in a house in the backyard. (laughs) She does. She has a backyard (laughs) shared by many neighbors. Right. (laughs) And she also has a house. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So we learn that Julia is in a relationship with Herman. They try to keep this very discreet because of the illegality that we talked about. But the neighbors truly cannot understand why she is with a white man, especially a white man with no money like what's even the point right i mean seriously at this time i mean at this time if you're going to break the law and um put your life in danger might as well be some money in it yeah this guy is just a poor baker (laughs) i mean i'm sure he makes really tasty snickerdoodles but that is not (laughs) enough honestly i mean okay i want to say that we also we obviously understand the power of love and we don't fully ascribe to these thoughts but yeah from our point of view love is love is love is love however that was not necessarily the point of view (laughs) at the time and by not necessarily it was certainly not the point of view at the time (laughs) so we learn that julia and herman are celebrating 10 years together that's like basically common law marriage as far as i'm concerned Um, And they are having a really sweet anniversary. They have a wedding cake together, and he gives her a wedding ring. It's a symbol, of course, because they can't actually get married, but it's a really beautiful symbol, and she wears it on a chain around her heart. And they dream of moving up north, where they can actually legally get married. Ugh, American history. I know, I know. So... We learn that Herman is from a poor German family. There's actually a lot of conversation around that because they're dealing with some anti-immigrant sentiment. Um, But his mom, who's also just a poor German, pretty much thinks she's all that. She imagines that she is high and mighty, the most upper class of upper class. But let's be real, she is a poor white woman. Yeah. Now here's the problem with their plan to move up north. Herman's mom lent him a bunch of money to start his own bakery. So he can't actually leave until he pays her back, but the bakery's not exactly a cash cow. It's um <laughs> they're making a lot of cakes, but they're not yeah. making a lot of cash dollars. Um so, you know, there's always this feeling of like next year, next year, next year. And I think that's how they got to 10 years together still yeah. unmarried, right? Right, right, right. So dedication on right? Julia's part, seriously. She's in it for the long run. I mean, she's in it for true love. Right. Yeah. So they decide that they are going to move to New York City. Herman is going to buy Julia a ticket up to New York. He's going to go buy it on Monday, and off she is going. He is going to stay in South Carolina while he works off his final debts, hoping to join her the next year. 
Wow. Great. <sighs> Things are looking up. Yes, they are. So that's that's basically the end of Act 1. It's like a really kind of, a, hmm, that's nice. And then we get to Act 2, Holy Smokes. And Herman has come down with the flu, which is a real pandemic in 1918. It's being spread by the war, and there are quarantine laws, all right. of this kind of stuff that we're very familiar with here in 2021. So here's the problem. Herman's really, really sick. It's life-threatening. It's not going great. If Julia calls a doctor, their entire relationship would be exposed. And that's not just a problem for her and Herman, but also she's putting all of her neighbors at risk because they're allowing this white man to be in whatever kind of relationship he is on this property. So it could ripple out much further than just their relationship. And at this point, black people are still being murdered. I mean... Not that this is not happening now, but, like, much more frequently. So the stakes are really high. Yes. The stakes are really high for this. And, you know, she's trying to nurse him. The neighborhoods are trying to nurse him back into health. And, you know, in this, like, hazy moment of influenza fog, Herman is still so set about getting that ticket to Julia so she can go to New York. He knows that's, like, the right thing in their relationship and what they need to do. So he gives her the money as she's nursing him and says, like, no matter what, get to New York. I mention that because it's going to matter in a little bit. But um, instead of calling the doctor, Julia decides that the next best thing she can do is call Herman's family. Oh. Oof. Now, the family does not know about this relationship. Mm, I don't buy that. The her- family chooses not to know about this relationship right but they do it's just not something that they are dealing with themselves they don't acknowledge exactly they don't acknowledge this so the mother and the sister annabelle arrive and the first thing that we really see is how they handle suddenly acknowledging that this relationship is real and being in a space that they have never been in before. And at first, you know, they're keeping it together with just some low-key nastiness, but that does not stick for long and things really begin to come out into the open. Right. Those microaggressions grow slowly and slowly. <laughs> exactly. And I would say that the growth from micro to macro here is happens in a pretty short amount of time. Yes, um, yes. But it gets really real. And the scene that really unravels here is truly one of the most raw, honest looks at racism in America. It is very hard. It is very powerful. And I think it is just brilliantly written by Alice Childress the amount of nuance that she gets into this scene yeah (laughs) and frightening how this conversation feels like a very contemporary conversation yeah right I that's something that I always think back on when we talk about um this play especially is how relevant it was I remember we read it and we were just like this is this is conversations that we're having today It is, you know, on one side, I am applauding Alice Childress wildly for writing something that is just so truthful that it stays true, but also so disappointed in 
society as a whole for not moving past this moment. Right. But that's where we are. It's an intense scene. I have not seen it on stage. I've only read this play, and I I can only imagine. And throughout oh. of this, the mother is, like, accusing Julia of stealing Herman's money, which, of course, he had just given her, and it just all gets very, very ugly. And what's happening is that Herman is just getting worse and worse and worse. He's clearly on the brink of death. But And at this point, Julia is like, let us bring in the doctor. We have to. I don't care about the repercussions. But the mother... She refuses to bring in a doctor, saying, dead is better than disgraced, which is not great. Uh, No. And as Herman really spirals down into kind of, you know, that psychotic fever dream, it's like he almost has this psychotic break where he goes back to his childhood and starts Mm -hmm. reciting these racist speeches by Calhoun that he used to present as like an elementary school child. So... Julia's here as a caretaker, taking in this man that she loves as he's, like, turning into this version of a human that she doesn't even recognize. And, you know, she's holding it all together until this, like, final moment where she was really pushed too far. And she really unleashes what she thinks of these, these two, especially Annabelle and the mother, but also of Herman as well. And the scene really ends, I think, in a growth moment for Julia, where she's really clawing back her power and her dignity over the situation. Yeah. So that's a big one. That's a big one. Some time passes... And then we come into our final scene where, you know, clearly what's happened in the time in between is that they have taken Herman away back to their home. But he comes back kind of still really, really sick. He wanders back into the place. He's unwell. And Julia and Herman have their first honest conversation about race. They have a conversation about who truly owns america is it the Mm -hmm. german immigrants who like built homes was it the enslaved people who built roads for free like whose blood is in this land and who really owns it they have a conversation about privilege you know she's pointing out his privilege and he's saying as a poor white immigrant dude like i don't have privilege and there's (sighs) a very familiar conversation about that and ultimately this is a conversation that we're still having today about the plight of poor white folks as compared to the challenges of being black in America. And it is just wildly contemporary, even though she wrote it in the 60s. And one of my favorite moments in this scene is where Julia says, you've never let me talk about race. Anytime I've ever brought it up, you've shut it down or you've gone silent. So we've never had these conversations, right. even though they're deeply in love over 10 years. Right. I know. Can you imagine being with someone for 10 years and never acknowledging something that one of them faces daily? Right. And, you know, throughout the whole play, you know, Julia will describe someone as like, blah, 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 this white lady, Betty, or, oh, I went to the doctor and he was white. And Herman's constantly correcting her and saying, like, He's just a doctor. Right. Like telling her not to use the word white. Yeah. Well, here come the mother and Annabelle once again. They are guessing that Herman has wandered back to Julia and they want to bring Herman home to die in his own bed because let's be real, that's where we are right now. And Julia pushes back. You know, there's this incredible stage direction. Julia silently stares at them, studying each woman, seeing them with new eyes. 
She is going through that rising process wherein she must reject them as the molders and dictators of her life. <gasps> yeah, that's powerful. That is an amazing stage direction for an actor to take in. Yeah. Uh, wow. And she refuses them entrance. She says, do whatever you have to do. Win the war. Represent the race. Call the police. And then she steps inside. It's a really powerful moment for her. Yeah. I'm not going to give the spoiler of what happens at the end. It's a tragedy. So I think we see what's happening. But that's basically the wedding band. There's so much more nuance and amazing things that I want to talk about. Right. There's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the main through line. But there are a lot of side stories that are really fun. And But going back to that last um, stage, well, not last stage direction, but that stage direction that you just talked about. Um, whereas when, um, Julia's just standing there staring at them, I, and you're saying like, that's powerful for an actor. I can't imagine I would want to do that every night of just like having, that's an, a great opportunity to just take back your power night after night, you know, on stage and in front of an audience. And I can only imagine the power and the fear and the courage it takes to do that as an actor, as a person. Yeah, that must be an emo- a beautiful moment. Yeah, this has got to be a really um, emotionally challenging play for the actors to go on. 100%. Each night. So I would like to think that if folks produce this play, and I hope everyone will produce this play, it's really an opportunity to engage um, an intimacy coordinator or a cultural coordinator or someone whose job it is to be the caretakers and the stewards of people's psychology during this to make sure that everyone's healthy and can do this for a full run yeah no no this is a this is a good one yeah I mean it is hard you know we haven't mentioned Nelson or the bellman there's so many other great characters that come into this play that are just really important to showing the landscape of like the landscape that we're swimming in that's a terrible mixed metaphor but um you know you've got (laughs) nelson a young black man who's enlisted in the army and he you know he's going off to war and then he comes home and he has no rights here in the united states and he has a lot of rage and so the women really kind of um they become a fortress around him, trying to guard him from his own rage because they so desperately don't want to see him get hurt. And right, because, reminder, this is 1918. So This is 1918. It's also 1960. It's also 2021. Wow. Boof. What else to say about this Um, No, I think to speak on the um, other storylines, I think Childress frames this relationship, this interracial relationship in kind of a slice of life of a, you know, small community in South Carolina truly gives us context for the stakes. You come in fully aware of what's at stake and how everything is in kind of a balancing act. and, And there are no small parts like it's all very much important everybody knows the weight of what's going on and and it makes it more palatable because you're in this community you know you see the interaction there's it feels real she really that's that's what i'm trying to say essentially is that because it's in this community this play feels more real i think there would be some element of detachment if it was just you know a a duet of just an interracial couple 
on stage who are dealing with this like it, it's a, it's easier to detach yourself because you're like i know this i can see this this feels like a movie all that stuff but when you're seeing it in context of a community it's harder to to separate yourself from it because you can identify with most characters in this play you can identify people you've met people you know people you know well and yourself in all of these characters so it's that's that's the beauty of this play yeah i want to you know taking your lead from that i pulled this quote from an essay by Donetta Lavinia Grays, who's Mm -hmm. a black woman from the South and a theater maker. And she was talking about, you know, seeing plays set in the South. And um, she says, I watched with curiosity at depictions of a general South that was totally unrecognizable to me. A South that could hold Herman's story, but made little room for Julia's. The American theater's South served mostly as a scapegoat for the nation's ills. Mm-hmm. Wedding band, by contrast, reflected America. Police brutality, racial inequity, global pandemic. 1918, meet 2021. Yeah, that's so real. I think of all the times I read Death of a Salesman, which, wonderful play, sure, but I feel like Death of a Salesman has the same impact on white America that wedding band could have on the rest of America. That is so interesting and true. Yeah, I'm so glad that you say that you encountered this in school. I think this is one of the best plays ever, ever, ever written. So if you're going to exclude it from a curriculum, that is just racism. I I 100% agree. And I say I studied it in school. I went to look for that information. Um, It was available to me, but I had to search for it. Um, But yeah, I definitely agree. Like I remember reading... How I Learned to Drive by Paula Vogel, which is also an amazing play. You should Love that read. play. If we read How I Learned to Drive in, um, you know, Theater 101, then I think we could definitely read Wedding Band and have similar discussions around society and, and the place of women and relationships and race and gender and all that stuff. Well, absolutely. And th- especially in a classroom. Right. There are just so many rich conversation topics, rich debates part of this play that it is just like even if you're not a theater class like right. talk about an this english in, class a history class like right. you could really address so many different studies through this play why not no i 100 percent agree i didn't read any plays in history class but i wish i had this is gonna be my new thing teach us in history class yeah <laughs> i mean and then also and then also produce it please thank you and yeah. also put it in your theater curriculum but 100 percent. i mean this is a classic because you can teach it in history class Yes. History. So this incredible playwright, Alice Childress, who is she anyway? Yes. Tell me about her, please. (laughs) I will. I will. Alice Herndon Childress was born in 1916. Interesting. She would have been about two years old at the time of this pandemic. And she (sighs) lived until 1994. She was born in Charleston, South Carolina. So she knew. So she knew. And to be fair, the play itself never points out that it is Charleston. It says a port city or something like that in South Carolina. But I think we can all read between the lines and we know that it is based on her hometown, Charleston. So she moved to Harlem in New York City at the age of nine and lived with her grandmother. And her grandmother really encouraged her to get involved in the arts of New York City. And her true love and her passion and aspiration was to make it in the theater. I feel her. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and she worked as an actor and a director and a costume designer for 11 years with Harlem's American Negro Theater. And it's really interesting that like clearly her experience in theater comes from doing and she kind of became a writer through that um in 1949 she's still at the um, american negro theater she wrote her very first play florence great play go read Mm -hmm. it which she directed and starred in and she is also the first black female playwright produced off broadway Wow. So I also want to remind, because we also talked about Rachel, us two together. Yes. Being one of the first plays produced by an African-American woman. And this was 1916. And now we're in 1968, 1970. And this is the first professionally produced black female playwright off Broadway in the 70s. So what does that say about the work of all the women that came before, you know? You know, it's interesting um, when we start talking about firsts, who was the first of this and this and that and the other. There's a lot of incorrectly attributed awards right. to Alice Childress, which I find fascinating. So there's like, you know, reports upon reports that she won the 1965 Obie for Trouble in Mind and that she was nominated for a Tony Award as an actor for Anna Lucasta. And in fact, that's not accurate. She did not win the Obie. She was not oh. nominated for the Tony. But I feel like there's this sentiment that they, she should have been. been. So like yeah. maybe we can just like rewrite that history a little bit right. of like mm, probably <laughs> she did. Let's should just be. say she did enough and maybe it'll, you know, we write our own realities. Yeah, exactly. Let's just secret it in and she right. will have won these things because I bet she probably should have. I, I agree with that. I'm sure she should have. Alice Childress is also known for writing some young adult novels. And I have just got to shout out my favorite titled young adult novel is now (laughs) A Hero Ain't Nothing But a Sandwich. Oh, my God. Thank you. Yep. I love that. Thank you, Alice Childress. And other fun fact is that the song Alice Childress by Ben Folds Five is in fact not about our Alice Childress here, but just some other random lady named Alice Childress. I feel like that is not a common name. Maybe Alice, but Childress? I know. Isn't that, that bizarre? That's so weird. They were like, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. We totally uh, wrote that song about Alice Childress, but not the only <laughs> famous one. What? <laughs> a random Alice Childress. You probably didn't hear about her. Um, no, we did not. No. <laughs> so there you have it. Alice Childress, New York City, all over the stages, began writing epically wonderful plays. Wow. Good for her. Oh my God. These women, all of these women on this list are just amazing. And now a short scene from the wedding band. This scene is between Julia, who is read by Tara Cheney, and Herman, read by Javen Nelson. Both are awesome ensemble members with Hedgepig. Herman is very ill, as we've heard about. He's got the flu, but he leaves his bed and comes to be with Julia. While they are deeply in love, here they have their first real conversation about race. I bought our tickets. Boat tickets to New York. Colored tickets. You can't use yours. They'll change and give one white ticket. You'll ride one deck, I'll ride the other. 
John C. Calhoun really said a mouthful. Men are not born. Men are made. Ten years ago, that's when you should have bought tickets. You chained me to your mother for ten years. Could I walk out on him? Christ's sake. I'm that kind of man like my father was. A debt payer. A plain working man. He was a member in a good standing of the gold carnation. What kind of robes and hoods did those plain men wear? For downing me and mine. You won $20 in gold. I love you. I love work to come home in the evening. To enjoy the breeze for God's sake. But no, I never wanted to go to New York. The hell with goddamn bread factories. I'm a stony broke, half dead, halfway gentleman. But I'm what I want to be. A baker. You waited until you was half dead to buy those tickets. I don't want to go either. Get off the boat, the same faces that'll be there on the dock. It's that shop. It's that shop. It's mine. I did want to keep it. Right. People pick what they want most. I did. You threw it in my face. Get out. Get your things and get out of my life. Must be fine to own something, even if it's four walls and a sack of flour. My father labored in the street, lifting and laying down cobblestone. Lifting and laying down stone till there was enough money to open a shop. My people, relatives, friends, and strangers, they worked and slayed free for nothing, for some of the biggest names, families down here. Elliot's, Lawrence's, Ravenall's. Great honor, working for the biggest name families. That's who you slaved for, not me. The big names. The rich and the poor. We know you, all of you, who you are, where you came from, where you're going. What's my privilege? Good morning, good afternoon. Pies are ten cents today. And you can get them from Schumann for eight. I'm white. Did it give me favors and friends? We're the ones built the pretty white mansions. For free. The fishing boats. For free. Made your clothes. Raised your food. For free. And I loved you. For free. A goddamn lie. Nobody did for me. You know it. You know how hard I work. If it's anybody's home down here, it's mine. Everything in the city is mine. Why should I go anywhere? Ground I'm standing on, it's mine. It's the ignorance. Let me be, let me rest. Christ's sake, it's the ignorance. After 10 years, you still won't look. All of my people that's been killed, it's your people that killed them. All that's been in bondage, your people put them there. And all that didn't go to school, your people kept them out. But I didn't do it. Did I do it? Thank you for joining us for our wedding band edition of This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon podcast. Learn more at expandthecanon.com. And for info on what's up next, you can follow us on Instagram. At Hedgepig Ensemble Theater. Facebook slash Hedgepig Ensemble Theater. Or join our mailing list at hedgepigensemble.org. .org. You can also support this effort by donation at the link in the comments below, bit.ly slash Hedgepig Memberships. Again, I'm Mary Candler. 
And I'm Shannon Corinthian. See you next time. Ciao. If you want to take... Mm-mm. If you want to take... Okay. If you want to... Hey, like, Can this please go always... in the blooper reel? Yes. <laughs> if you want to take on... <laughs> If you want a take, okay, that is why it was messing with my head. We got it. We got it. I'm sitting here smiling wildly. <laughs> okay.